0: Thank you, David. I had the privilege of uh, being in his living room with a bunch of these other guys eight or nine years ago. I don't know. I think Buckley invited me to David Hill. Brian Buckley, familiar with him. He's a wild and crazy dude. I'm going to ask all you guys to stand up real quick. We're going to do something really, really cheesy. Um, I read somewhere in a pretty famous book that um, we're had to have childlike faith. So we're going to do something that's um, childlike. Um, one of my mentors, Ford Taylor, uh, David's been to his, um, his teaching. Um, it's called Transformational Leadership. It's called the hand dance. All right, so we're going to start moving our hands, right, do a little hand dance. Come on, just do it. Y'all are men. Get here. Come on. Do it like this. Ready? Woo-hoo. All right. All right. Right here. Stop right here. Who controls this? What, who controls what goes in these ears? Me. Me, I do. Hand dance. All right. Stop right here. Who controls these? I do. What are you looking at? Right. Hand dance. All right. Here we go. Right here. Who controls your heart? You do, right? To a degree, right? How you feel, your emotions, right? The things that you let affect your heart, the things you let into your heart, who controls that? Come on, I do. All right, hand it. Last one right here. This is probably the most important one of all. Boom. Your tongue, right? What comes out of your mouth? Y'all can sit down, thank you. Shout out to Ford Taylor, Transformation Leadership. So I know that, uh, you know, little Simon says in a spiritual version, um, but it's important because I think at the end of the day, as men, we sometimes uh, take for granted that uh, the influence you have, the people that are looking and watching what you're doing. I got little kids, so it's something that's like always on the top of my mind. Um, I've got staff and employees and, and, uh, you know. We sometimes allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by the things of life or the things of the world, but at the end of the day, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gave us the ability to ultimately filter, you know, what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, in our ears. So I'm going to jump into a little bit of Ecclesiastes. Um, Had anybody ever read Ecclesiastes? Is is anybody actually participating uh, throughout these months? Yeah, a few of you? Yeah. Ecclesiastes is challenging Um, But fortunately praise God David gave me chapter six, which is only like three paragraphs 12 verses (laughs) and uh, I Apologize right now, you know you guys you got the st. Last month you got you know, Pat Williams next month and you got me for June so Only by the grace of God hopefully there's something in here for somebody in this room So we're gonna start off with a little bit of overview and theme, I love it. I rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus. Technology is not working. (laughs) right, where's, I knew this was gonna happen. I said it this morning. Come on. All right, well, I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. Where's my wife? She does all the technology in my house. A lot of helps coming. Helps coming. If you want to talk? I'll just play around with it. Yeah, see if you can get that working. Right. So, I wanted to take a minute to kind of just do a little overview on Ecclesiastes because it is—it is, it can be confusing. I mean, if you haven't read the book before, I mean, just, it, it's part of the wisdom uh, literature of the Bible. Um, so there's a ton of wisdom in it, but when you read it, it is. Probably as confusing as all get out. At least it is for me. Thank you, bro. So, booyah! Little round of applause because I can't do that. So the author, author of Ecclesiastes, intent. So the author even of even in and of itself is something that's de- debated, you know, from a theological realm. Uh, whether it's King Solomon or not, it just depends on you know where you're at and and you know what you read. Uh, But I I choose to believe it's Solomon, Um, but the whole intent is really just to impart wisdom and knowledge to the people of God. So I've got four slides I'm going to go through real quick, and then I'm going to give you some real-world life application um, for where I've seen the Holy Spirit use some of these principles in my life. Um, The Bible in and of itself is to impart wisdom and knowledge, right, to the people of God. But it's very interesting. It's the people of God, okay? Uh, the necessity of fearing God in a fallen, frequently confusing, and frustrating world. I think we can all agree that's a really accurate statement, right? I mean, it's a fallen world. I mean, people are confused. Uh, LGBTQ, XYZ. I mean, it's, right? We're, we're in a world where there's a lot of confusion, right? Uh, truth. Uh, define it. It's up to you. What, what does truth mean to you? What? You know what, what, what do you, you know, what do you believe in? Uh, remaining faithful and trusting God when we do not have the capacity to understand what he is doing and why. Um, I think that's pretty fascinating. That, you know, the peace that supersedes understanding is beyond comprehension. I think for a lot of us, uh, especially for men and for me in particular, uh, remaining faithful and trusting God when you do not understand why things are happening in your life is, is probably, you know, one of the hardest things, and I don't think we ever really truly understand what that looks like um, in the moment, right? Uh, it's always, you know, hindsight's 20-20. I, I love cliches and metaphors and makes me sound smart, but um, so, you know, biblical perspective, right? Life is a journey that requires constant reflection on the past, present, and future. Uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more uh, as I share a little bit of some testimony. Um, <laughs> David gives me chapter 6. I'm thankful, as I mentioned, it's only 12 verses, but it, it's the futility of life, right? Uh, fascinating. Uh, there's a synonym that's often used throughout Ecclesiastes. It's actually the most prevalent instance throughout the entire book. Uh, a Synonym for, for, for futility is vanity. 38 times it appears in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's 50% of all of the times it's referenced in the entire uh, Old Testament is in Ecclesiastes. So there's something that the teacher is trying to teach us, right? The author is trying to teach us uh, about vanity. So real quick, I'm going to break out a definition for you on vanity, according to our friend Webster. So excessive pride in or ad- admiration of one's own appearance or achievements, conceit, narcissism, self-love, self-admiration, self-regard, self-absorption. So vanity, I think a lot, at least for me, we, we, we tend to think of it in terms of appearance, but, but vanity, in reality, by definition, is uh, consumption with yourself in all in all aspects of who you are and what you find your identity in. Um, the biblical context for futility and vanity is pointless, fleeting. It's often referred to throughout Ecclesiastes as a vapor. Uh, what's a vapor, right? It's here in a second, it's gone, right? It's just. Right? It's gone in a second. It's elusive. You know, you hear throughout Ecclesiastes, a very common uh, term, uh, chasing the wind, right? I mean, I love that. I mean, the wind is something that you really can't identify uh, until it impacts something else. That's fascinating if you think about wind uh, just in and of itself. I mean, you don't even recognize the wind until you feel it hit you in the face. Sometimes you don't even feel the wind until you hear it or you see it in the trees. But yet, throughout Ecclesiastes, the author says, we constantly chase the wind. We, we're constantly chasing something that we may not even know is there. How interesting is that? You may not even recognize it's there until it smacks you in the face. Right? And it doesn't have to be a gale force wind. Sometimes it is. Sometimes some of us get into those storms of life, and it's 90 miles an hour and it's bending you over. right? And then you recognize it but there's times in your life for the most part where you don't even know where the wind is, but you're chasing it, right? So I think that's fascinating. And then also it's incomprehensible. There's a Greek word which I can't pronounce, but you know I'm sure there's some theologians in here of which I'm not one. But um, it's the same u- term used by Paul. If you've ever read Romans eight, I mean, that's a, that's a great, man, that's just divine. Um, but Paul references the exact same term that's repeated 38 times in Ecclesiastes, he referenced it as the basis, it's the foundational principle behind Romans 8. And I didn't even know that until yesterday when I was prepping for this, (laughs) because like all y'all, you know, we're last minute, right? And we've got 10 million things going on, and this, that, and the other thing. But I checked out from our new store opening yesterday for four hours, got into the Word, and hopefully I'm bringing something this morning that makes sense to somebody. But the reality is, you know, while he was a Pharisee, These were things that Paul was educated in, right? These are the things that he was going to learn. And uh, it's something that literally is coming right out of the book of Ecclesiastes. So, again, I'm going to encourage you to read it, Uh, find somebody in a small group or an an associate pastor or somebody you can get into it with because uh, it's deep, deep, deep water. Ecclesiastes is deep water. So real quick, Ecclesiastes 6, verses 1 and 2. Vanity is a grievous evil that lies heavy on mankind. God gives us all that we desire. We lack nothing. Uh, God gives a stranger the ability to to enjoy them. There's motive. So if any of you all brought your your Bible, let's break out. Ecclesiastes 6, it's Old Testament. It's right after Proverbs. I'm going to read it to you real quick and might help you understand some of this. This is out of the ESV. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet. I had a mentor teach me a long time ago, where there's a comma, and then you see a yet or a but, you should circle that yet or that but, because something really important is about to be said, right? So he says... So God gives wealth, possessions, honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity, is a grievous evil. I mean, to open up this chapter with that verse, I was like, boom, okay. I can park on this all morning and I won't, but it's fascinating. We're... This is evil, it's a grievous sin. Chasing after all that we desire. God God gives it to you, right? But yet, what is the vanity piece of it? That he doesn't give you the power to enjoy it, right? Further down in the the text, we're going to hear about, you know, the futility of life. And what are we working for? What are we striving to, for? I mean, God gives us the ability to create wealth, right? To have possessions, to have influence, to have all these things. But yet, He gives the power to somebody else to enjoy. It's fascinating, right? I don't know if you look at second generation, third generation companies, you look at you know the Walton family and Walmart, and you know any other major dynasty you can think of in America, or the Rockefellers. You can go all the way back to the industrial age. And by the second and third generation, how many of those businesses are successful? Anybody know? It's it's ridiculous. You know, second, second generation, 50%. By the third generation, 70% of those same businesses fail. It's gotten once or twice removed from the individual that had the vision that God gave the idea to or whatever it was, and by his son or his grandson or daughter for that matter, but we're men, so fly that flag, right? It's gone. It's gone. So the vision that that man was given, that Holy Spirit divine, you know, intent that God gave them is gone by the second or third generation. So again, I can spend a lot of time on that. Ecclesiastes 6, 3 3 through 6, the theme there is do... Not all go to the same place. We talked about it. I mean, from dust to dust, right? Regardless of what you do, you, this life is fleeting. It's, it's but a moment. And at the end of it all, right, hopefully we get to stand before God. and Well done, good and faithful servant. But um, it doesn't matter who you are, right? King or pauper, it doesn't matter. You, you are all, we're all going to the same place. So why? What? Why are we doing what we're doing? I mean, so many things in here. S- uh, seven through nine is toil of man is for his appetite, which is never satisfied, and it's also vanity, striving after the wind. You know, we're we're constantly toiling, and and it's funny. The more success you have, the larger the appetite you have for success. If any of you have ever experienced, you know, that first time you got a six-figure check, you know, from a vendor or a job or the first time you got a six figure bonus or seven figures or eight figures. I mean, whatever it is, I had another mentor of mine. It's just decimal points, you know? Bill Gates takes a whiz, right? He makes a million dollars a minute. At the height of Microsoft, when Microsoft was crushing it, and Bill Gates was the richest man in the world, you can use the same analogy for Jeff Bezos right now. That guy's taking a whiz, 45 seconds to a, to a minute, and by the time he washes his hands, he's made more money than you and I will see in our life, right? Interesting. It's just a decimal point. A thousand dollars to you is a big amount of money. A thousand dollars to Jeff Bezos is like, what? Four seconds? Right. Oh, we just made a million, Oh, a thousand dollars. thousand dollars, right? Contentment uh, is the number one theme when you get into the middle of Ecclesiastes 6. Uh, it talks about how uh, you could have a thousand children and live 2,000 years, and at the end of the day, uh, if you have a discontented heart, even with abundant blessings, it all ends with the same result. And, guys, you know, we're here for a short period of time. Uh, this is very important. I don't want you guys to miss this. Ecclesiastes 6 10 through 12. Uh, very interesting. There's a principle in, especially the Old Testament, when something's been named, when God gave it a name, Uh, even with Christ, right? I mean, he gave Joseph and Mary a a very specific name. When something gets named, it has authority over it, right? Uh, So it's pretty interesting. uh, For who knows what is God? Who knows what is good for man and what will be? Um, If you guys get nothing else from this this morning, in conclusion, as far as the scriptural references, because I would be... Uh, remiss if I didn't take the time to at least share the word of God with you and encourage you to get into the word yourself. Um, by the way, I mean, this is, you know, not by my own. You know, I, I recommend you go out and get a study Bible because you read that verse and you have no effing clue what it means. And you're like, man, that is like, why would I even start reading this thing? Because that makes no sense to me. You can get into some you know, study notes within a study Bible, and it helps break it down a little bit. And at least for me, it helps me understand, you know, what God's trying to teach me. But here's the bottom line. God is the authority over all things in our lives, and only he knows the outcome. Uh, that's pretty, pretty simple, pretty basic Sunday morning stuff. Um, but the truth is, how many of us try to control numerous aspects and have authority over numerous things in our life. I'll give you a prime example for me personally. I've got three kids, a girl, boy, boy. My middle son is a donkey. I mean, he is a donkey. I mean, he is me, you know, made over probably, right? So you be careful what you pray for because you just might get it. So I always wanted a son, so God gives me a son and he is the most frustrating thing in my life. Right. I mean, some of us have older kids and and, and you've got the prodigal in your life. And I pray every day the shed blood of Jesus over Luke, because, I mean, I just man, I just don't want him to to walk out what I walked out in my life and in my journey. And I just want to spare him like we all do as good fathers from some of the mistakes that I made. Um, But he might have to go through that. You know why? Because he's a donkey. Right. And he's stubborn. And he's, you know, totally self-absorbed. I mean, you can see so many traits in your kids uh, that are scary. Um, so, a couple of things I wanna share with you guys that are gonna transition into, into testimony. Really come back to uh, my early life as a, uh, as a businessman. I, I, I did not grow up with a lot. I'm a first-generation believer. I got saved in August of 2005. Uh, Reading The Purpose Driven Life that my father-in-law gave me uh, two years prior to me marrying his daughter when I was a pagan. I mean, not a very good representation of uh, God's creation, I guess. But uh, still shocked that my father-in-law let me marry his daughter. And um, it was through my father-in-law and through that book that he gave me um, that I ultimately got introduced to the Lord and it was a baptism through fire. I prayed to receive Christ, I was on my front porch, I'll never forget it, and I was just weeping. I felt fire, I felt heat, you know, I was sweating and uh, I was just on my face, I was crying out to the Lord and, and, and uh, it, was, it was incredible, you know, I mean, it was life changing and um, what's fascinating is, is being a donkey I still continued over the next two years to to live, one foot in the world and one foot in my walk, because I was a baby. I mean, I was 27 when I got saved, and um, I didn't I didn't really know what it meant. But I did have some good mentors in my life, and I was getting into the Word, and, and I was on fire. I mean, I was on fire. I was in five or six Bible studies, of which one was David Hills in his house, little thing called Iron Man of God and Dream Builders, and and all these other. I would I was just searching after places where I could go hear the word and and be taught the word, because I wanted to know. But even with all that, I was still torn. I was still living one foot in and one foot out. And the reason being is I launched a company in 2005, was my first business. My uncle had come up with a little widget uh, he called the pin knocker. And uh, he's from Missouri, he was a master carpenter. And um, I told him, hey, if we can get a patent, I'll move to Florida and I'll take this thing to market. So sure enough, I paid for it, it was about $12,000. I was working in New York City at the time and I um, moved to Florida with no job, but I was gonna pursue bringing this product to market. I ultimately renamed it Trademarked the Hinge Helper, uh, did an ad scene on TV, took a second mortgage on my house, went out and got investors, did all this crazy stuff. Some of you guys were actually walking with me at that time back then, Alex and Josh in particular. Um, and I thought, you know, we were gonna hit the big time. And we did, uh, contractually. I ended up ultimately selling the rights to the US Patent 6308390 one uh, in February of 2007. And I sold it, sold it to a publicly traded company called Sirtrin, C-I-R-T on the NASDAQ at the time, uh, publicly traded out of West Valley City, Utah. Um, anybody ever heard of the ab roller? That was uh, Sertran. That was a six hundred million dollar product, right? Just, just that, just on TV, six hundred million, not counting any future retail sales. One of the most successful ads seen on TV uh, campaigns in the history of that entire direct response TV model. So these are pretty good guys, right? I mean, Divine appointment. I'm a big Divine appointment guy in my theology, uh, Calvinistic to a degree, I guess, uh, but. What's fascinating is God had another plan. Um, When I sold it to them, it was a $22 million contract. I'm 28 years old, and I just sold my patent for $22 million, and I'm like, (laughs) jackpot. Told y'all, I was gonna be a millionaire before I turned 30, boom. Well, God had a completely different plan. In 2007, was an interesting time, right? I mean, historically, that's an unbelievable thing, right? 2007, 2008, is just the great recession. And uh, the majority of that $22 million was based on a purchase order that Suratran had secured with Walmart. And it was an 1800 store distribution deal. Uh, our performance criteria was uh, 10 units per store per week, about 18,000 hinge offers. Per week, seventy-two thousand a month, uh, which equated to about half a million dollar royalty checks every ninety days. Boom! I'm gonna get half a million dollars every ninety days, and I'm gonna sit back on the beach with my butt in the sand and a drink in my hand, because I'm still living like this, right? And I'm praising God. Thank you, Jesus. You know. I just hit the lottery. And the reality is, is that as I've, I've shared in other situations with my testimony, God really broke me into 22 million pieces. <laughs> and uh, how many of those checks did I get? Did anybody want to take a guess? Yeah, from a hero to a zero. Like that. And uh, it was heartbreaking. Right. So here I am back on my face, <clears throat> rededicating my life to the Lord. Where did I screw up? Where did I go wrong? In my heart. Right. In my heart. I, I, I had lost that fire in a short period of time. I went from being on fire, you know, hair on fire, talking to everybody and their brother about Jesus. You know, I was in six Bible studies. My wife's like, my goodness, how long is he gonna do this? Like six Bible studies, right? I mean, it was just ridiculous, but I'd gotten slowly, 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 I drifted and drifted and drifted, you know, away from what had gotten me to a place of clarity and a place of, you know, spiritual direction and hearing from the Father and doing things that I had done that got me to that opportunity to be able to have that level of success in my my career. At the same time, my wife was pregnant uh, with our first child, uh, and we get served with uh, foreclosure papers from an Orange County sheriff. My wife's nine months pregnant with our first child. I'd taken every, I'd leveraged everything in the hinge Albert, and I was a one-man band, and uh, I could do it all, and I didn't need anybody. I, there was a lot of greed there, you know. I, I wasn't, you know, willing to take on a team of people and do a number of different other things that I needed to do. Um, I goofed it up again, technology-wise. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you, Jesus. So I made a prayer. I made a commitment. When I, when I got down on my face and I prayed to God and I said, Lord, uh, if you ever give me the opportunity to run another business, if you ever give me the chance to, to be a CEO, uh, I'm going to dedicate it to you. I'm going to give everything that that business has to you. And funny how God works. You know, be careful what you pray for. You just might get it. And uh, he spoke to me about three o'clock in the morning. And at that time, I'd gotten back into the word and gotten back into some habits that some of my mentors, and by the way, if you don't have a mentor, you got to get one in your life. You got to get a journal, right? You got to get before the Father every morning, get some quiet time, just start writing down your prayers in your journal. I mean, It's funny, I found one of my old journals, uh, the other day I was uh, going to Georgia for a men's retreat and I was looking for a journal that I could bring on the men's retreat, you know, just to capture some notes and I found some old things that I prayed and I was praying for like 10 years ago. And it's just fascinating. I mean, when you look back, when you reflect and you have that journal and you're able to capture that feeling, that sentiment, those things that were going on in your life from a year ago, from five years ago and you look at it and you go, holy crap. Prayer, prayer does work. I mean, he answered that. He answered that. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe that worked out the way that, you know what I mean? And you just reflect back on where you were, you know, in your life. And you can see God's hand. And I mean, just how he's weaving things in your life, the tapestry of, of God's hand in your life. I mean, but you only can see it if you're capturing that, right? Because you lose it. You lose thought. You lose that that the reality The of it because you're so caught up in what you're dealing with today, you forget where you were last week, last month, two weeks ago, two years ago, and what God has done in your life and, and you know, in the past. So God gives me this. I'm praying for a name. He gives me Adino. At the time, I was going to a church, which was preaching out of the NASB. It's the only place it appears. It's in 2 uh, Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. And it's the story of David's mighty men. And David was the greatest king, right? Well, the greatest warrior, right? One of the greatest generals in the history of mankind. Um, and uh, he had a, a group of 30 that were around him that were considered his, his generals, if you will. Then he had the three. And out of the leader of the three was Jehoshapim. Who was also known as Adino, the Esnite, for he once slain eight hundred Philistines single-handedly. I'm like, boom, man! If I'm gonna start a company, I'm gonna name it after the mightiest warrior and the mightiest general's army of all time, and it's gonna be badass, right? So we created a cool logo. That's actual, you know, sword and shields from David's time. Uh, I got some blood on the blades, which you can't see because, you know, heads got to get chopped off when you're doing war, when you're doing battle. Um, But God told me uh, that our restaurants were going to be churches. And I'm like, what does that mean? And uh, this is what it means. You know, he gave me the mission statement, you know, demonstrate the love of God through the example of Jesus Christ, right? Every guest, co-worker, you know. Every time or through a meal we serve. I mean, just like, wow, that's really starting to unpack that. And then uh, he gave me this acronym for Christ you know, character, hospitality, respect, integrity, service, trust. And then he gave me the verses to go with them. And I'm telling you, if you've ever had a download from the Holy Spirit at three o'clock in the morning, uh, it usually doesn't involve punctuation, right? Or grammar, at least for me. I was just like, and then. Ultimately, this is what was born out of that. Um, But this is our corporate ethos that hangs up in every one of our restaurants. And what I wanna share with you guys this morning is, um, those of you that are in business or those of you that are in leadership, uh, if you're intentional and you pursue God and you ask God to step into what you're doing in your career or in your business, He will, He will. If you dedicate it to Him and you stop chasing the fleeting things of life, success, titles, uh, possessions wealth uh, and you actually do things to give God the glory uh, he will honor that I mean God will honor that so just a slight example I know my times running down here um, I've got about 250 employees in the burger portfolio I've got a full-time chaplain who sits on our executive team? We pay his salary. All he does is bounce around from location to location. Uh, in the last 24 months, out of 250 employees, we've had 160 salvations. Yeah. So God's got starting to demonstrate, you know, what that looks like. I had this all teed up this morning at 5:45, but this is my actual handbook. One of my um, Mentors, one of my my dear brothers in the Lord is Randy Alligood. Uh, He sits on my board of advisors. He's our lead counsel. And uh, I said, said, Randy, God told me uh, that the restaurants are going to be churches. Uh, This is my attorney. And uh, we're going to preach the gospel in the restaurants. We're going to open up in prayer uh, every day at every single shift lead right? We're going to pray, and we're going to openly pray in the restaurants. Another thing God gave me, which I think is fascinating, we call it Trojan horse ministry. And you think about the Trojan horse and the history and how they had success and why it's documented, you know, throughout military strategy, right? I mean, it was military strategy. I mean, it actually happened, right? What did they do? They built an idol, the Trojan horse, right? They built a trap door in the back of it that they could load some some Delta Force guys in, right? Some special operators in. And they wheeled it right into the enemy camp. Why? Cuz they bowed down before their idol. They thought it was the manifestation of their god, right? Incarnate. So they allowed it into their camp, and then ultimately we know what happened, the back door drops and they cut some heads off, right? And they went, "Well, we cut heads off every day." in the restaurant business. Because the restaurant business is a dark place, okay? I've got dozens of felons. I've got people that are dealing with all types of substance abuse and addiction. I've got the entire gamut of the LGQ, 2B, X, Y, Z, and we love them, and I want them. If you're a believer, don't come work for me. Seriously. I'd rather have a full-blown lesbian with him, living with her partner with three kids running my restaurant. You're letting the devil into your business. Nope. They ain't going to church on Sunday. Guess what? She comes to work five days a week, 50 hours a week. She hears about the gospel. She gets loved on. We don't beat her over the head with a Bible. We just love her. Kid needs glasses? No problem, Lori. We got you. We're here for you. Last time I checked, that's what Jesus did, right? He he went to the marketplace and met people where they were. Who condemned them? the religious people of their day. We have an opportunity with our restaurants to go into the enemy's camp every single day and slay dragons, slay demons, free people from bondage, eradicate all of the darkness. We are taking dominion every time we open a restaurant, we're taking dominion in that marketplace. We're taking back ground for the kingdom Right? How? By loving on them. Love God, love people. The two greatest commandments, all the other us, is bullshit. Pardon my French. Buckley and I just came back from a little elite warrior weekend. And there was a pastor who was dropping bombs, F-bombs. And I was like, who? So. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, I, I love the church. The church is the, is the bride of Christ. We are the church. This is church. When you go to your place of business, have some church. Don't be afraid to talk to people about your faith. It's all good. Use an opportunity. When somebody asks you a question, you make it an opportunity. Be intentional. Understand that everything is a divine appointment, there are no accidents in life, there are no coincidences. Every single opportunity, every conversation you have is an opportunity to influence somebody with the love of Christ. Just love on them. I don't judge you. You know why? Because I hated to be judged. Don't judge me. I'll crack you in the mouth. I used to. But you know what I'm saying? So Randy came up with something real quick. It's a sentence. I don't even know how many words it is. It's one sentence and I apologize, everything's garbled, but I understand. (laughs) I rebuke Satan. Gosh dang it. That is super annoying. All right, anyway, it basically says, um, is it back on? All right, good. It basically says, I understand that Adino LLC is a faith-based business and managed using biblical principles. That's it. All liability covered. We're talking about Jesus. (laughs) All right, last but not least, I mean, some of the things that God continues to do, continues to show me, and my time's wrapping up. I appreciate y'all's patience. We just launched, launched Humble. So with BurgerFi, I'm a franchisee. I'm an area developer so I have no influence over that crazy pagan brand, because it is a pagan brand, but God honors ministry, people are getting saved, people are getting rocked, even under the flag of a pagan brand, we're doing ministry, right? And they ask us, how do you have the lowest turnover? How do you have 24% same-store growth last year? How are you doing what you're doing? Transformational leadership, being intentional with sharing the gospel, no cussing in my restaurants, right? And show you something here in a little bit called the social covenant. Actually, let me show you that real quick before I kind of got off track here a little bit. Um, the last thing is the social covenant. So this is from transformational leadership, and basically it, it just outlines how we're going to treat each other. Every employee in the whole restaurant signs it. Uh, and again, this is not my document. Ford Taylor created this transformational leadership. Uh, David went through the same training. We put all of our managers through it, all of our supervisors. Again, we're just being intentional. This is how we run our restaurants. We're not gonna gossip. And by the way, if you talk to me about somebody else, and I'm neither part of the problem or the solution, you have 48 hours to go to that person and have that conversation. Or there is a direct repercussion. We don't gossip in our restaurants. We don't do it. It's cancer. It's cancer. We don't do it. Six step apology, changed my marriage. The first three, I did it, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you hold me accountable? Is there anything else I need to apologize for? Will change your marriage. It'll change your relationship with your kids. When's the last time you were actually apologized to? Another one, we're words of affirmation. We're real big on words of affirmation. I mean, when's the last time somebody actually told you that they care about you or you're doing a great job? Last but not least, humble. Uh, when we started the brand, we were very intentional. Uh, we got the, the Jesus fish and the bee, little ichthys action, one for one. You know, We feed a child with need in need with every meal we sell. Um, all of our uniforms are made by uh, AIM, Agape International, uh, we're rescuing women from human trafficking. Uh, you know, when we built this brand, my partner's Paul Mesha he's an elder at Mosaic, one of the co-founders. Uh, Renaud is our spiritual advisor, he sits on our board. Um, you know, we're, we're gonna do things. When we had the opportunity to create a brand that we own, we were gonna do it with intentionality to honor God and serve God. And again, this isn't us. This is just being in tune with the Holy Spirit, being prayerful, getting, our, getting on our face before God and seeking what God, what is your will for this brand? What is your will for this company? What do you want to do with this concept? How can this concept bring honor and glory to you every day in everything that we do? God, we commit it to you. It's yours. And be careful when you do that because you really got to give it up. Because if it's really God's, he's going to do with it what he wants. And I guarantee you, his plans are not our plans. Right? Love you guys. Thank you for your time. I went a little bit over. Appreciate it.